0: Good morning again. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles on the benches, it's on page 807. Uh, today, we are, we are continuing in our Advent series. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the theme of hope. Last week, we talked about the theme of love. And today, we are going to be talking about the theme of joy I think it's right that we talk about joy at Christmas time because it's, it's central to, to the season, and we see that in, in, in how we use joy. You drive down the road and, in certain neighborhoods, it's like all decked out with lights, and you'll see joy emblazoned in lights on people's houses or in your yard ornaments. We, we sing songs about joy. I think most of the songs we sang this morning during the season have, have had joy and been, had joy as a theme. Uh, ornaments on our tree have the word joy on them. My favorite on ours is, is, a, is an ornament that a student made for my wife when she was teaching, and they basically spelled out joy with, with uh, scrabble tiles, and so that's hanging on our tree. Uh, and, and, and when we read the birth narratives, whether it's in Matthew or Luke, the theme of joy and that word joy is just sprinkled throughout all those narratives. So it's, it's good and it's right for us to consider joy this Christmas season, but I think to do that we have to begin by by defining joy because it's one of those concepts. It's it's one of those ideas that it's that it's hard to wrap our mind around. So th- this is the way after after reading the Bible and uh, these past weeks of trying to prepare for the sermon, I was reading different references for joy. Th- this is what what I walked away with defining joy. Said so joy is is an emotion that's produced by a hopeful expectation. So joy is an emotion, and it's produced by a hopeful expectation. We're expecting something in the future. We are hoping for something in the future, and that produces a a feeling, an emotion within us, and that emotion is is defined as joy. So I I think oftentimes, especially around Christmas season, we, we think of joy and we think of happiness. We think of that Norman Rockwell type of Christmas scene that you see on calendars or Christmas cards back when we used to send Christmas cards without our pictures on them. Um, but, but it's true. And, and I think about my childhood growing up, and I almost think about that Norman Rockwell type of, of picture. Uh, oftentimes, in fact, every Christmas Eve, we would have Christmas in Colleen. My grandfather and grandmother lived in North Colleen on Second Street, and we would get there during the day pretty early. You know how most families—it's Christmas. It's time to open up your gifts. You wake up and gifts are the first thing you do. I think my family liked to play like mind games on all the kids, and so we would get to my grandmother's house, and maybe we'd want to open up gifts. We'd see all the lights and the trees and the gifts with their names on them. No, no, no. We we can't open gifts because we we've got to like cook supper. Um, It was supper because we were country. It's dinner for everyone else. Uh, but we had to cook, had to cook supper, and, and so we had to wait for everyone to cook everything that took so long to cook. The smells were great, but when it's finally ready, we would, we would eat, and we'd be ready for presents. But the adults would be like, no, 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 not yet. We've, we've got to wash dishes because heaven forbid we open a gift when there's a dirty dish on the counter. And so we had to wait for all the dishes, and you think, all right, it's time to open gifts, and we'd all gather in the room with the tree, but it wasn't time yet. Because my grandfather or someone else there had to open up the Bible to the book of Luke chapter 2 and and read the story of of the shepherds in the field, and and we had to do that, and then it still wasn't time yet, because they wanted to sing like every Christmas carol that was ever written. And not just any and every Christmas carol, but the last one always had to be the 12 Days of Christmas, which was the longest song in the world. And only then and after them, could we, like, pass out the gifts and tear into them. And, like, when I think of Christmas and I think of Christmas joy, there's a tendency, tendency in my mind to think, well, that's Christmas joy. It's the happiness. It's the family. It's the togetherness. But, but if joy is an emotion produced by a hopeful expectation, does that mean it can only happen in happy circumstances? I think the answer to that is, is no, that you can have joy in those happy times, but you can also have joy in these somber, serious times of your life. Think about a hospital. We'll, we'll illustrate it this way. We'll illustrate it uh, through, through the imagery of a hospital. On the hospital, you have different floors. On one floor, you have the maternity ward where, where new life is being brought into the world. And we, we've been there a number of times ourselves, and every time a child is born, they'll They'll wrap that newborn baby up in those swaddles, those white swaddles with the blue and the pink stripes. And, and you'll hold them, and people will come and they look at the child and they'll say, Oh, what a, what a bundle of joy. It's a joyous occasion, it's a happy occasion because new life has been brought into the world. God has blessed you with, with fruit, and you have this child, and there's a hope of what this child will mean to your family. There's a hope of who this child will become, and it's a joyous occasion. There's joy in that happiness. But if you go a floor up or down, there might be joy, but in a completely different circumstance. It might not be joy in a delivery room, but it might be joy beside a deathbed where a husband or a wife is saying goodbye to someone they've been married to for a long time. might be another floor where somebody has a somber and serious joy through the receiving a, a bad diagnosis of a terminal disease. Can there be joy on other floors of the hospital? Man, the answer is yes. Some of you, when you think of Christmas time, you don't think, man, I had a Norman Rockwell, not Rockwell, Norman Rockwell type of childhood. He said, my childhood was different. And and Christmas isn't a sign or, or, or happy memories, but Christmas is reminding me of, of disappointment, of brokenness, of difficulty. Or it might be that Christmas season is, is reminding you that the loved one, the one you loved, is not celebrating with you this year. And every time a song is sung or decorations are seen, it's reminding you of, of one you've lost. It might be that this is not a a happy circumstance for you because it very well might be that you're thinking, this is one more Christmas season while my spouse is deployed and, and I'm not going to get to celebrate with them this year once again. Can you have joy, the joy of Christ in those circumstances? The promise of Scripture is yes. That joy is just not for those happy times, but joy can be had regardless of the situation that you find yourself in. Our story today in the book of Matthew chapter 2 talks about the joy that we can have in Christ, and we need joy in our world. We need joy because we live like in an age of outrage, where every time I get online, I feel like everything's written in all caps all the time, like yelling at me and beating me down, talking about how everything is broken, and you can trust no one, and everyone is out to get you and out to ruin everything. And like a moth to a flame, I just keep going back. We need joy because we live in a broken world that's filled with outrage. We need joy because next Sunday, we're going to have a prayer service to help end human trafficking. We need joy because there is, there is a fundraiser right now for Foster Love Bell County to help foster kids. We need joy because we live in a broken world that can feel hopeless. But joy, this emotion that is produced by hopeful expectation tells us that we are expecting something different out of this broken world. Matthew 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 tells us, who that source of joy is. Let's read it. Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, this is, this is not the same Herod that Jesus spoke to before he was crucified. This was that guy's father. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews, For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why would Jerusalem be troubled? It's their Messiah. But they were troubled. They were troubled because Herod was a type of king. When Herod was troubled, everybody was troubled. So that, that's why they felt troubled. But all Jerusalem, this is verse 4, And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people... Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. I'll just take a moment, like, we don't know what this star was. We don't know when it, we don't know why the wise men in the east saw it and thought, oh, a king is born. We don't know that. That's not not the point of, of what the Bible is trying to get, get at. But all we know is that there was a star and the wise men knew somehow. Uh, and, and, and so the Bible is about to make a, a different point uh, about the wise men coming. And, and he They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed on their own to their own country by another way. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is pointing us to the source of true joy, that's pointing us to Christ. I pray that we, like the wise men, would, would come before him, that we would rejoice in him, that we would worship him, that we would, that we would lay ourselves before him as a gift to him. Father, as we read this text, we pray that you would convict, that you would encourage that you would give us hope and joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So quick question, a little, little technical thing. Are y'all getting feedback? Yes. Y'all are. I'm getting a lot of feedback. So, I'm gonna, Is that better? Closer to, your mouth. Closer to my mouth. Dave's the expert. He knows. All right, is that better? All right. So I think Joseph's out there. He'll, he, he knows what he's doing. He'll, he'll take care of it. So there might be some up and down as we get it as we get it all. Oh wait, okay. I'm gonna keep going. On. All right, so we're gonna begin, and we're just gonna be talking about the source of true joy. The source of true joy. This passage points us to who true joy is. The true joy is is Christ. These wise men found true joy. Listen to what it says in chapter two. It says in verse ten when they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Listen to how those words are modified. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That word joy and rejoice have the same root word, and here they are in the same sentence, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They're trying to make a point that they were overwhelmed and they were filled up with this emotion because they had hope. What was their hope in? Their hope was in finding this child who was born. But we have to ask, why were they looking for him? And I think there are little clues sprinkled throughout this passage. I think the first clue of why they were looking for him is found in, in verse 2. It says, saying, they, they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're saying, this child that we're looking for has been born king king of the Jews. Typically, if you become king, it's not because you were born king, but kingdoms and kingdomships are inherited. You are a king because your daddy was a king, and he died, and now you're the king. Or you become a king because of conquest, and you defeat the other kings, and you are now last man standing, you're king. That's not the case with Jesus. It says here that Jesus was born king of the Jews. Based off of who he is, his identity, when he came into the world, it's it's like the world is saying, all right, you made us, you created us, and it's like the world recognized the fact that their maker had come, that Christ is king because of who he is. The shepherds said he was born king. They were filled with joy because of that, and he wasn't just any king but we find that he is the promised Messiah also that the Jews have been waiting for all their lives, that all creation has been waiting for all their lives. We see that as we go down to verse 6, and, and the high priest says, all right, this, this baby who was born king, he's to be born in Bethlehem because we know the Messiah, the one coming into the world to disperse the curse and to let his blessings flow, he's to be born in Bethlehem. So why was this child who was born to be a source of joy. Why was he to to be worshipped? It's because he was a king who is coming to crush the head of the serpent. He is the king who, who is going to bring peace, not just to the Jews, but to the entire world. And so when the wise men saw that star rise up and they followed it, and when it led them to the doorstep, they rejoiced. And it says when they found Jesus, they actually fell down, and worshiped. They worshiped this child. They delighted in him. My question to you this morning is, do you delight in this child? Do you delight in Jesus? Do you love him? And whenever you think about him, does it lead you, like the wise men, to fall down and worship him, to lift your voice and to worship him? think this message is needed because we get so easily distracted during the Christmas season it's so easy for us to forget that this season is all about celebrating God putting on flesh and dwelling among us and it's so easy to get wrapped up uh, in the distractions of the season it's so easy to get wrapped up and thinking well I've got to decorate inside of my house and outside of my house the other day my, my kids were in Dallas and they've been saying, they've been seeing other people with their like float up balloon things in their yard and lights on the house. Like, Dad, when are we going to get our lights? So I thought, man, they have a hopeful expectation of light. So while they were in Dallas, I was home by myself. I was like, I'm going to surprise them. They're not going to get home till the evening. It's going to be dark. They're going to turn the corner in my neighborhood and see our house lit up. And so I get out there on my ladder and I put those lights up. And, and I'm just waiting for them to get home to see like the the joy on their faces and their eyes light up. And, and what happens is when they turn their car and the, the doors open up, they're all asleep. Um, <laughs> they see it the next day and they're like, oh, lights. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> but I, I had this expectation put on me. And it's like, all right, I've got to do all these expectations of decorating and sending out Christmas cards. And my wife wants to address all of them by hand because it's a personal touch. And, and there's all these expectations of making sure it's all perfect, of making sure that we give our, our children an experience or give ourselves an experience of the Christmas season. And it's so easy for us to forget that this season is all about Jesus. It's so easy for, to forget that that 2,000 years ago, a light began to shine in the world to disperse the darkness to bring hope to those who had no hope. Don't be distracted. It might be a good conversation for you to have with your family of what's distracting us this season. That doesn't mean you don't decorate your house. That doesn't mean you don't send out Christmas cards with handwritten notes on them. That doesn't mean you do all those other things, but it does mean we reorient our mind to remember why we give gifts to remember why we celebrate, to remember why we sing all these joyful songs is because of who Jesus is and what he has done in this world. We need to remind ourselves of that because there is false joy in the world. We have to beware of this false joy. I think this can be seen in the person of Herod. Herod, uh, he's a powerful man if you read the history books, he's fascinating. He, uh, he was appointed king by the Roman government, by the Roman Senate before there was a Caesar. And whenever there was a competition between Mark Antony and, and Augustus, he, I, I want to say he actually chose the wrong side. And after all the, all, everything fell apart, he was still king when, when the opposite side won. So this is a guy who knew politics. He knew how to play a role. He was powerful. One of the most powerful men in the world. And I. I i just wonder if we were able to have a conversation with him and he's able to reveal his heart i wonder if he would say what what's going to make me happy what's going to give me joy in my life is power is is prestige of people looking at me and and calling me great maybe of my enemies fearing me and he thought that that would fulfill him power, prestige, position. But as we look at the history books about his life, that's not what we find. He was called Herod the Great. Man, he built some amazing things. He expanded the temple, the wailing wall where Jews still go to pray. That was a wall that King Herod the Great built. He built aqueducts all over the country, delivering water to barren places. This man was such a, such a driving force in the area. He built, he built a port where there was no port. 2,000 years ago, he found concrete that would set in water, and he built his own port accessory of Philippi. He was trying to make his name great, but all the while, what he thought would bring him happiness and fulfillment, this power, this prestige, was also something that was eating away at him. We are told in the history books that King Herod the Great ended up killing his mother-in-law. After he killed his mother-in-law because he thought she was trying to conspire against him, he ended up killing his wife. Maybe killing his mother-in-law had something to do with it, I don't know. Um, after he killed his mother-in-law, after he killed his wife, he ended up killing three of his sons. All because he thought they wanted his crown and were conspiring. He killed more than 300 of his military officials. Augustus Caesar said of King Herod, It is better to be King Herod's pig than to be his son. This false hope he had in power and prestige turned him into a suspicious and angry and fearful person. And we find that when we put our hope in the wrong thing and we find joy in the wrong thing, we find that one, it will disappoint us and it also will eat away at us. If we want to delight in Jesus, if we want to worship Jesus, one of the things that we have to do is we have to find out what is competing with Jesus. What's competing with Jesus in your heart and your life what are you saying? This will make me happy. This will bring me joy. This is what I was created to do. And if the answer is anything other than Jesus, that, that's what you're competing with. That's what Jesus is competing with for your heart. It, it reminds me of, of the Israelites. Uh, when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt and, and God, we, we have to remember that they weren't like pure, right? The, the Israelites, when they were in Egypt, what I mean by they weren't pure is they were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping the gods of Egypt. Yes, they they recognized God as well, but they also had these other gods that they worshiped. And when God freed them from slavery, were bringing them to the promised land, there was still this fear that when they got to the promised land, they would adopt the gods that were being worshiped in the promised land. So God was always warning them against the gods that they had left in Egypt. And he was warning them against the gods that they were about to be introduced to in the promised land. And he's saying, I don't want you to worship any of them. I want you to worship me and me alone. And what we find in our hearts is that we're always tempted to go back to worship these gods that we used to worship. Or we're always tempted to worship new gods. We're always tempted to put our hope in the things that we always thought would bring us hope. Relationships, position, power, security. And when those fail, we're tempted to find our hope in other things. Jesus is saying, I, I won't share your heart. I, I don't want to share your heart. Jesus, there's one seat on that throne, it's for him. So what are, what's competing for, for your joy? What's competing for your hope? I think we, we have to really like boil it down, find what we're competing with, and begin to just destroy it in our lives. To put our hope in Jesus. We have to find out what these false joys are. This leads us, when we realize there are false joys, it reminds us that we have to also pursue a a true joy. We have to pursue true joy. So not not only are we freed from our past gods, not only should we resist these future gods that we're tempted to worship, but scripture tells us that, that we need to pursue Christ. Like the wise men, what did they do? They left the security of their homes. They left the comfort of their homes where they knew their roles. They knew what they're supposed to do. They left all that behind to go on this journey to follow a star on roads that were probably a little dangerous, filled with robbers who would assault them and steal from them because they had some treasure with them, remember? They then went into the presence of one of the most powerful men in the world, and made an enemy of him, they pursued Christ. They followed this promise of hope and joy. And we, like them, need to pursue joy. So how do we do this? I think there's a hint that Jesus gives in the book of John chapter 15. This this is what the Bible says in John chapter 15. You you don't have to turn there. It's two verses. I'll, I'll read it for you. Jesus said this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So let's, let's, let's condense down what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I've loved you. I want you to abide in me. The way you abide in me is by keeping my commandments. He continues on. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is saying, I love you. I want you to abide in my love. You abide in my love by keeping my commandments. If you keep my commandments, my joy will be in you and your joy will be filled. Will be full. So you understand the progression. Be with God. Obey his commandments. Your joy will be full. And then he tells us the commandment to keep. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Once again, follow the progression. Jesus says, I love you. I want you to abide in my love. You abide in my love by keeping my commandments. My commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. When you do this, your joy will be full. We increase the joy of Christ in our lives by loving one another the way that Christ has loved us. How did he love us? He loved us by giving his life for us. He loved us by laying down his life upon the cross for us. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this type of love, and it hit me last week. Last week I was, I was preaching out in Gatesville, and there was a man in the service I met before the service began. His name was Jack, and he told me, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm older than I look. He says, I'm actually a World War II vet. He's in his 90s. And, and when he told me that, I couldn't help but think about my grandfather's. Both my grandfathers fought in World War II. One in the Pacific, uh, one one in, on the on the on the European front. My grandfather that we did these Christmases with here in Colleen, uh, his journey took him to to Africa, where he fought in Africa. And after they finished up in Africa, they they went up into the peninsula of, of Italy to fight there. While he was in Italy, my grandfather was captured by the Germans and he became a POW. And I can tell you, I love mo- both my grandfathers. But this grandfather, we, I think we had like a special connection. I spent like every weekend at his house. This was a man who was very serious. Uh, but whenever I would sleep, I always slept in, in his bed with him. He would always tell me stories. And he would like put voices, like if he was the pigs, his voice would get really high. And, and like you'd never see this in him at any other time, I feel like. But the whole time I knew him. And he would tell me stories like the Three Little Pigs or David and Goliath or stories about him becoming a POW. All my life, I had never heard him speak a bad word against his enemy, about, against those who he fought against, about those who captured him, about those who put him in a POW camp. <clears throat> what he did say, he said, they didn't want to be there any more than I did. And he would tell a story about when he was ta- being taken to his POW camp. He said he was up on top of this tall truck, moving supplies for the war back and forth, and he had a guard who was assigned to him. And he said every time they would go underneath a power line or something that could, that could hit them, <clears throat> he said that guard would lay him down on the supplies of the truck and then lay his body on top of my grandfather. And this is how my grandfather interpreted what was going on. He said, I, th- I think he was looking out for me. He, he was protecting me from the danger that, that was above us. I think, what a picture of what Christ did for us. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. While we were rebelling against God, God laid his life on us to cover us from that which would harm us. Jesus said, I want your joy to be full and your joy will be full when you keep my commandment to love one another the way that I have loved you. How's your love these days? Are you a person who says, I want to pour out my life in service to others. I want to see what their needs are and I want to meet their needs. I want to see where they're hurting and I want to be like a balm for their pain. Or are you walking through this life with your hands out and you're saying, what's in it for me? How can I be served? How can other people make me happy? Christ is calling us to live life the way that he lived life in service and sacrifice for other people. And it's when we are willing to die and to lay ourselves out that we find true joy. We have to pursue it. We need joy in this life. We need a hopeful expectation in who Christ is, what he has done, and what he will do when he comes again. We see it in Matthew chapter 2, the rest of the story. You all know Paul Harvey? Anyone remember Paul Harvey? Or is he like for old people now? All right, Paul Harvey, he says the rest of the story is is a great radio program. Here's the rest of the story. The wise men find Jesus. They find the source of true joy. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They they fall down and worship. They lay out their gifts. And then they are warned not to go back to King Herod. Because in that secret powwow meeting they had where Herod drew them in close and said, guys, I want to worship him too they realize that Herod didn't want to worship this one who was born king. They wanted to kill him. So when when Herod realized he had been tricked, the rest of Matthew records what happens. Herod, once again, in fear of what he might lose, brings up his guard and sends it out to Bethlehem and systematically begins to kill every child that was born since the star appeared. He killed every child that was two years old or less. When you read the research, you find that that was 10 to 30 kids in that area. It's a small village, so it's 10 10 to 30 kids were probably killed during that time. I grew up in a small town, about 800 people. Imagine being in a small town and 10 to 30 two-year-olds were murdered. There's not a parent, not a person that wouldn't be affected by that. Either you are a mom or a dad or a grandpa or grandma or, or you are a brother or a sister or you are a neighbor to somebody whose life has just been torn apart. The Bible is hard. I, th- I think we can look at this and we can say, oh God, if you're all good and you're all powerful, why did you let this happen? Or you could look at Jesus and say, Jesus, look what you did. You came, you caused this, and then you ran off and you were safe in Egypt. So people can blame God, they can blame Jesus. Man, I, I just ask you to take a different approach. And don't say, God, why did you do this? But you can look at this story and say, this is why Christ came. This is why Christ came, to, to end things like this. Because when we look at the story of these 10 to 30 kids who were killed, we have to realize this was not a one-time thing that happened. But atrocities and depravities happen all the time every day in our world. The very fact that next Sunday we're praying against human trafficking or the fact that we have to have an organization like Foster Love Bell County for for kids who are in danger or or the, the fact that we have to have those things tells us and yells out that we need a Savior. The hope of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus came into the world to be that savior. One of my favorite songs at Christmas time is one that we sing this morning. It's called Joy to the World. Favorite Christmas trivia that I ever have is, is that that's actually not a Christmas song. Did y'all know that? Joy to the World wasn't written as primarily as a Christmas song. It's written by Isaac Watts, and he, he wrote the song based off of a meditation on the Psalms. And, and this song, Joy to the World, wasn't about the first coming of Christ when he came as a baby, but this song is about the second coming of Christ, of him coming into the world as a reigning king. I want you to listen to one of the verses. It says, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as a curse is found. Whenever sin came into the world, the world became cursed, it became broken, it became a place of pain and sorrow and grief. And the promise of Scripture is that when Jesus comes again, he's going to reign as king and that curse is going to be wiped out. There's no dark corner of the world where the curse will remain, but there will be hope. We will have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a prince of peace, reigning in justice over the world. And that's the hope we have. That's our hopeful expectation that can bring joy in our lives. Let's fight for it. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that. Christ put on flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you that, that he is delivering hope to us, and that hope will produce joy. Help us to be a joyful people because of who you are and what you've done in our midst. Help us, O oh Lord, to point other people to that joy as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.